Hello, friends. It's great to see you, and hello to uh, the people at Christ Community Downtown, Christ Community West, Christ Community International, Christ Community Spanish, Christ Community Traditions, Christ Community on the Internet, Christ Community Everywhere. How awesome is that? Um, Yeah, it's amazing. And furthermore, I want to give a special hello to our friends at... Plus, Sal Community Church, um, who continue to be very close to our hearts. And um, it seems to me, if you, if you just pause for a second, and if you, you think about the bigness of what God is doing, it'll blow your minds. And it's a really beautiful thing. There are some, sometimes, very often, I'll be driving to church on Sundays, and I just uh, kind of get caught up in the moment of things, you know, because like super early, there isn't anyone else on the roads except pastors going to churches, and you know, to open up the church buildings, you know, and so so I'm driving, you know, and I'm thinking, man, you know, there are all these, you know, other pastors in the same boat as me, and, and not only here, but, but all over the country, and we're, we're preparing places for our congregations to encounter God, and, and I start thinking about that, and I get all teary-eyed like I am now, and, and it just becomes big, and then I, I think about all the families all over the country who are preparing their kids to go to church, and they're fighting, you know, and, and, and they're trying to get their kids up, and in church clothes, and, you know, we got to go. And I think about the thousands and, you know, thousands of people that what it takes to get them out of their homes to go to church. And, you know, I, I think about how, how terrified pastors are to get up in front of people to speak. Or is that only me? I don't know. And, and, and so there's this whole, like, you know, all of a sudden, you, you know, you see the bigness of the church. And even here in Greeley, like, there are 89 churches in Greeley. And you think, you know, in, in any given moment, the Praise teams are practicing, and, and families are going all over the place, and, and, and people are coming in hoping to experience God in big ways, and it's beautiful, and it's good. You know, because we all have some things in common, because we want to experience God, because a lot of times, right now, at this point, we come hoping to experience God, because often we feel out of control. And it's like right now, in this moment, we are hoping to experience God, because a lot of times we don't feel important. And right now, in this moment, a bunch of us just realize that we have to go to the bathroom, but we're going to have to wait till the end of service. And, and right now, you know, God is looking to act and to move. And right now, you know, thousands of people are coming to church hoping to experience God because they're afraid of what their everyday life looks like. And right now, we desperately need God. And right now, out of the 89 churches, there has to be one or two of them who are singing the song, I'm coming back to the heart of worship just because it's so popular. And I remember as a kid, whenever I would sing that song, we'd actually sing it every week. You know, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. I can't sing, but I'll pretend. And I remember seeing it over and over, and it was like my favorite, and I could sing it awesome as a kid, like I thought I could. And, and then it hit this point of like, what does that really mean anyway? What's the heart of worship? And what, what am I coming back to? I'm 12, you know? And, and it's like this whole thing. And I remember thinking, I'm not singing that song ever again. And I haven't. Until I was told that I have to teach a sermon on the heart of worship 20 years later. 
And so today, we are concluding a worship series, and I am so excited because today is going to be beautiful and good, and God wants to speak to you right now. We have been doing a sermon series on Psalm 95, and Psalm 95 is composed by David, right? And something that's so cool about the Psalms are um, the, 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 uh, the problem, the conflict, the, um, the, the purpose of the Psalm typically comes at the, the end of each chapter. Um, so, so every good story, every good teaching, every good you know, composition is inspired by something and it's typically a pl- problem or a conflict. And in the book of Psalms, it always comes at the end of the chapter. So So King David, he's writing this beautiful psalm, and then he puts a problem at the end saying, here's what inspired all of this, right? And so today, we're going to talk about the problem that inspired King David to write what he wrote, right? Today, we're going to talk about the heart. We're going to talk about the heart and how King David says, do not harden your heart, Today we're going to talk about hard hearts and soft hearts, hearts of stone and hearts that beat. We're going to talk about the heart, your heart. Your heart is important. Your heart is very important. And today we're talking about the topic of worship. So I think it's important to define how I'm going to be talking about tonight. So tonight's um, topic of worship is defined by bending our lives towards God. It's simply bending our lives towards God. This is how I'm defining worship tonight. There's tons of other definitions out there. They're all right. They're cool, right? But how I'm going to talk about it is bending our lives towards God. So jot that down. I have these poppy plants at home, and I I planted them probably in a horrible spot. Um, I have this big, big, big tree in this huge open space, which I'm like, I want to plant lots of flowers here. And so I I planted all these flowers, lots of poppies, and then by the poppies, I I planted these flax plants. Um, And so so, so something that's really cool is they have different personalities. And I'm someone who talks to my plants because I'm out there all the time. I don't know if there's some of you are nodding your head like, I talk to my plants too. Let's hang out sometime. And so, so I talk to my plants and these, these poppies are big and beautiful and they like have personalities. And, but the flax plants that are right beside them, they don't have personalities. They're really boring. And so these poppies, something that's really cool about them is it seems like they're in a different place every day. Like they are constantly bending and twisting and contorting themselves to be exposed to the sun as long as they possibly can. It's like the sun's coming up and they're like, yeah, let's do it. You know, they're like bending like this. And then at the end of the day, they're like this. And, and there's this time one of my poppy plants was totally twisted. Like his stem was like twisting. I'm like, yes. The thing I should say, I was like, you go, girl. You know, I was like, you're awesome. But the fox plants are dying, right? They're right by my poppies, and they're dying because they don't do anything. They just sit there. They're boring. They sit there. It's like, I hope the sun hits me. You know, come on, son. You know, I hope to experience the sun today. But because they're in the shade, I know I shouldn't have planted them there, the sun doesn't hit them. And they're dying because they don't do anything. They don't bend towards the sun. The poppies are rocking it out, you know. They're, they're bending their lives for the sun. And, 
And it's from this heart, I think, the same heart I have for the flowers I have, the poppies and the flocks. You know, like, just bend, flax, bend, is, is the, the same reason that King David composed this psalm, Psalm 95. So if you have your Bibles open, your, your Bible is a Psalm 95. So, so, um, so over the past um, past sermon series, we have just been going d- down Psalm, this whole psalm, and it's been awesome. It's been awesome. It, it, it begins, it's like, come let us sing a song. And we did that. You know, we did a whole sermon about it. It was about singing and, 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 and the joy of singing and just letting it out. And you guys have been awesome. It has been fun and joyous and good. And then it goes on like, let us shout to him our rock because he is awesome. And we did that and we studied that and we talked about it and it was good. And then it's like, and come let us extol him and praise him. And we talked about it. It was awesome and good. And then it says, come let us bow down before God, you know. Let us bow down before him and pass around and talk about that. And it was amazing. And then it comes down to the reason that King David wrote this passage. So, so he's doing this whole thing. Let's sing a song. Let's praise him. Let's bow down. Let's do all these epic things to show God how awesome he is. And then it's why. And he says this um, at the end of verse 7. Here we go. Today, if only you would hear his voice. So it begins with a plea, right? There's a plea here. It isn't just hear his voice. It is, there is a plea. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did in that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. And I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they don't know my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Doesn't the tone of this psalm change? It changes a lot. Like the first half of this psalm is just like, praise the Lord. And then we hear, why? Don't harden your hearts. Don't do your own thing. Don't go this way. So today we're going to focus on three things in this passage. We're going to focus on the the hardened heart. We're going to talk about the idea of God's rest. And then we're going to talk about the place that this whole story takes place. And we're going to begin with the hardened hearts. Whenever a bunch of us hear the idea of a hardened heart or having a hard heart, we hear it in this context of a, of a heart that doesn't have compassion or a heart that is cold or a heart that is empty or someone who's just mean. You know, they have a hard heart. They're, do you know what I'm saying? It, 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 we have this persona of what a hard heart is. But biblically speaking and, and, and culturally speaking in Judaism, the, the image of a hard heart is the image of a stone heart, which comes from an idol. The, the language of hard-hearted is an idol language. It is an idol language because idols are made of stone. And oftentimes, the prophets compare 
our God to the other gods by saying they have hard hearts, they have ears that don't hear, eyes that don't see, and hearts that don't beat. Compared to our God who sees you and hears you and his heart beats for you. They draw a separation between the images of heart and a heartbeat. And idols have hard hearts. They don't beat. It's idol language. I'm going to define idol for us today a bit differently than it typically is defined. Because here, you know, the the idols are typically defined as kind of anything that gets between you and God, and that is totally correct. But I want to bring it home just a bit, bit more, and I want to say an idol is something or anything that you would sacrifice your children for. An idol is something or anything that you would sacrifice your children for. An idol is something or anything you would sacrifice your children for. And a lot of you say, I wouldn't sacrifice my children for anything except time alone. (laughs) Except the career I have or the dream that I have or except the passions that I have. I wouldn't sacrifice my kids for anything unless they get in the way. I wouldn't sacrifice my kids for anything unless they get in the way. Of what? What is the most common thing that we will sacrifice our children for? Us. The most common thing that we will sacrifice our children for is us, our dreams, our kingdoms, our passions. The temptation of Pharaoh is is alive in us all. The temptation of Pharaoh is alive in us all. The Bible says that Pharaoh was the epitome of hard-hearted. Pharaoh was someone who saw himself as God. He saw himself as building a kingdom that was his. He saw himself as all-powerful with hopes and dreams. And the temptation of Pharaoh is alive in us all. We all have passions and dreams and desires and, and things that make our heart beat, sometimes not in a good way. Whenever King David says, do not have a hard heart, and if this is idle language, what is he saying? He's simply saying, do not make yourself into an idol. The image of Pharaoh and the image of personal idolatry, um, turning ourselves into idols or our own kingdoms, is that of a snake. Here's something that's very, very interesting. The image of idol worship, personal idol worship, is the image of a serpent or a snake. If you think about Pharaoh and the headgear that he had on as the God-man, the human god, it was this of a cobra. And and oftentimes in the story of the d- desert, anytime personal, uh, personal idols came up, serpents came up. And it isn't any wonder that from the beginning, from the beginning it was the image of a serpent who promised us to be like God that pulled us out of the, the garden. As if what King David's saying is here is actually true. That's saying, if you have hard hearts, if you make yourselves into idols, if it's all about you, you will never enter God's rest. God's rest here, this is the second point. It isn't just talking about being peaceful. When God is talking about his rest, 
He is talking about the epitome. He's talking about going home. He's talking about, about Eden. He's talking about paradise. He's talking about Sabbath. There is a lot balled up in this term. This is why we do what we do. We are going home. This is the promised land. This is the end of the story. This is, this is why we continue to get up day after day after day to find our rest in God. So in this passage, whenever David is talking, do not harden your hearts. If your hearts are hardened, you will never enter God's rest. It's a really big thing because this is our purpose. And it seems to me, if if you look at the Bible, which is pretty interesting, anytime you talk about people with hard hearts and, and the idolatry of things, it always points back to the desert. It always points back to the Exodus story. You know, you have Paul who says, don't be hard-hearted like the people in the wilderness. Don't be hard-hearted like the people in the desert. You have the prophets that are constantly saying, remember your ancestors who were hard-hearted in the desert and they worshiped idols. Remember the desert. Remember the desert. And then you have David here is saying, don't be like the people in the desert. It's in the desert. Well, what happened in the desert? Right? What happened in the desert? Because everyone who talks about the desert assumes that you already know. They assume you already know because this is such a big story. The desert is such a big story to our history and our past. Every great people, especially the church, has a great salvation story. And oftentimes, whenever you look at our salvation story of being pulled out of places of bondage and death into God's providence and and going towards the promise, it's compared with the story of Exodus. The story of Exodus is the context that all of this takes place that that David is referring to. He's referring referring to the story of Exodus, a time that the, the Hebrew people were in slavery for 400 years. That's a long time to be a slave. And their slavery for 400 years and God says it's time for them to come out and they're in bondage and they're in captivity and they are owned how many of us had been in bondage captivity and slavery and we were owned and then we were called out and the Hebrew people were called out saying come follow me let's go and do things together I have a promised place for you and so, so and so God pulls out the Hebrew people out of slavery and out of bondage and and, and, and he gives this prophet the staff, right? And he puts the staff in this big river and it turns to blood and plagues happen because of the staff and people die because of the staff. And, you know, and just amazing things happen and the Hebrew people are free and they're going to a great place, the desert. They go to the desert and God brings them to the desert. What survives in the desert Absolutely nothing. Nothing survives in the desert. And God was going to prove a point. God was going to prove a point. You cannot survive in the desert without me. So day after day after day after day, God shows up. God shows up every single day in the desert. How do we know that God shows up every day in the desert? Because his people lived. They were hungry and he brought them food. 
There's no food in the desert. They were thirsty, and God brought them water. There's no water in the desert. And furthermore, you can't navigate in the desert, and God brought them direction. So every day, his people were dependent on food, on water, and direction. And if God did not show up, they didn't eat, and they didn't drink, and they didn't go anywhere. How cool would it be to be so dependent on God that if he did not show up, you were starving and you were thirsty and you couldn't move because it was so obvious God didn't show up. But the thing is is that God shows up in the desert and he brought water and he brought food and he brought direction and he brought his people into a relationship with him that was amazing. This is what it looks like for us, too. This is everyday life. It seems like everyday life is in the desert. We have been brought out of, you know, bondage and slavery, and we think, you know, you know things should be awesome now. Then we're like, oh, wow, we're in the desert. You know what? Why aren't we happy and awesome and have halos yet, you know? And we're out there, God, where are you? And he shows up again. And we're like, God, where are you? And he shows up again. And God, where are you? shows up again. We're in the desert, you know? It's amazing. Well, there was this particular day, this, is this rock of Meribah, and, and the people were thirsty and grumbling. But by the way, every time people are grumbling, something happens. They're serpents just tossing it in there. And so the people are grumbling, and they're complaining about things. And we're like, we're thirsty. And so they tell Moses, the prophet, you know, go do something. Get us water. And so God, you know, says to Moses, take your staff, the staff that turned the water into blood. Take your staff, the staff that brought plagues and judgment. Take your staff and stand on that rock. And stand on that rock and hit it. Stand on the rock and hit it. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about how that rock was Jesus. And it's very interesting because then Moses gets up, he stands on the rock, and he takes his staff of judgment, and he whacks it. He judges the rock. And instead of blood coming out, water comes out. And his people were fed, and his cattle were fed. Where else in the scripture does the rock get judged and water comes out? The gospel Anyway, so this big thing happens and things are taken care of and it's awesome. And his, his people, they follow God for 40 more years. 40 more years in the desert. God sustains the people 40 years in the, the desert and he brings them back to the same place they were 40 years ago, the rock of Meribah. And he brings them there and the same thing happens. His people are complaining. We're thirsty. And they actually said, is God with us or not? 40 years. Is God with us or not? And so, so Moses, a prophet, goes to God. And he's like, my people are thirsty. And God says, speak to the rock. Same term as praise or bless. Praise or bless and speak. Same words. Go speak to the rock. Bless the rock, praise the rock, and water will come out. So what does Moses do? He goes and stands on the rock like he did 40 years ago, takes the staff of judgment, and he whacks it. 
and water comes out because God is a God of grace. And the people had water to drink and the cattle had water to drink. And then God said, you will never enter my rest because you don't trust me. You don't trust me. What is a hard heart? It is revolving around trust. And who do you trust? If you want to know what a hard heart is and the difference between a heart that trusts God or a heart that trusts yourself, a hard heart looks to yourself for provision. A soft heart or a heart that beats looks towards God and blesses God and praises God and says, you have been with us for 40 years. We will sing to the rock and it will spout out water. This is the promise of God. So, Paul often goes back and tells the story over and over and over again. Because this story is important, the hard-heartedness of the desert, and those who got to experience the promised land, and those who did not get to experience the promised land. And since we're all on a journey to get there together, it's pretty important to not to do what they did or be what they did. And the essence hard-heartedness. So Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, he sums it up perfectly like this. Remember our history, friends, and be warned. All our ancestors were led by the providential cloud and taken miraculously through the sea. They went through the waters of baptism just like ours as Moses brought them from enslaving death into great salvation life. They all ate and drank the identical food and drink and the meals provided every day from God. They drank from the rock, God's fountain for them that stayed with them wherever they went and the rock was Jesus Christ. But experiencing God's wonder and grace did not seem much to them. The same thing could happen to you. We must be on guard so that we never get caught up in wanting our own ways as they did. I love the end of that. It's, you know, the grace and wonder of God did not seem much to them. And he says, this could happen to us. Be on guard. We don't want to be like them, wanting their own ways as they did. Does the wonder and grace of God seem like much to us? Sometimes it doesn't. What is the hard heart of the 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 desert that David pleads about. This whole psalm of singing and extolling and bowing is in response to a hard heart. Like, please do not have a hard heart. The hard heart of the desert is simply wanting your own way. It's making life about you and not about anyone else, especially God. It's grumbling and complaining and it's the asking, is God with us anyway? The hard-heartedness of the desert is wanting our own ways. It's making everything in our life about us. It's turning ourselves into an idol. 
It's turning our stories and our kingdoms into an idol, something we'd sacrifice anything for. Is it any wonder at all that the call of Christ begins first and foremost by him saying, take up your cross and come follow me? What happens on a cross? Is it any wonder that the call of Christ came, pick up your cross and come follow me? What happens on a cross? So what would it look like? What would it look like to change a a heart of stone, a heart of idolatry, a heart that's about me, a heart that's about you, and shift our gaze on God? Because truly, worship is transformational. It should transform our heart. It should change our heart, primarily the eyes of our heart. Because the eyes of our heart, since the day we're born, is looking at us. But worship transforms our gaze and makes it look at God. It's bending towards God. What would it look like for a heart of stone to begin to beat? The question is, is what do we worship? Do we worship ourselves or do we worship Jesus? A bunch of us even follow Jesus out of worship for ourselves because he will give us what our hearts desire. Do we worship Jesus or do we worship ourselves? Here comes the exciting part. So a long time ago, there's this Franciscan priest who I love um, who wrote this book about the five promises of the beating heart. He tackled this topic of idolatry. He tackled this heart, uh, the heart of the human, and saying, here are five things that everyone needs to understand to put their eyes on Jesus. And I'm going to share them because they're awesome. Are you ready? If you have a pen and paper, pull out your paper. These things are epic. Now, remember, the goal is is to transform a heart that's focused on us, our eyes are focused on us, to a heart that's focused on Jesus. This is the big call of the prophets, and this is the big call of David and the call of Paul. You know, don't have a hard heart. And so here's the response of one of our Franciscan friends. He says, the first thing that everyone needs to know to begin to shift their eyes from themselves to God is, life is hard. Life is hard. How many of us believe that life should be easier than this? And how many of us are chasing the easy life? I am, I want to turn 55 and everything to be awesome from then on. I believe it. I know it won't happen, but I'm going for it. How many of us believe that everyone else has it easier than us? He says the first thing that everyone needs to understand to begin to shift their gaze from themselves to God is that life is hard. The second thing, you're going to love it. The second thing that you need to understand and to own, you are not that important. You're not that important. I was told I was important from a baby. Like, I was special. And I was going to do big things. You're not that important. I have been chasing my entire life to show everyone how important I am. To prove how important I am to my father. To prove how important I am to my spouse. To prove that I have a purpose. 
we all have this common heartbeat to prove that we're important. What if we're not? What if we're not important? Would that not take the pressure off? (laughs) Is there not freedom in knowing you're not that important? That's the second thing he says, to begin to shift your eyes from yourself to Jesus. You are not that important. The third thing, the third thing to shift your eyes from you to Jesus is, you are not in control of your life. You're not in control of your life. How many of us, even though we know this, do it and believe it? I am trying so hard to control everything about my life and the life of my kids and the life of of everybody. Let's just be honest. I love being in control. And not only I want to be in control of my own self, I want to be in control of the people around me. But the third truth is you're not in control of your life. We try so hard to do all the right things because if we do all the right things, here's how it's going to pan out. Those of you who are older here and have done all the right things, is this true? No! It never works out how we wanted it to. The things that we control blew up in our hands and we thought we thought we were in control, but we're not. The third thing that everyone needs to know to begin to shift their heart is you are not in control of your life. So, life is hard. You're not that important. You're not in control of your life. Number four, your life is not about you. Your life is not about you. Do I need to say anything more? Number five, and this he would say is the biggie. This is the biggie. Number five, the biggest thing that someone needs to understand to shift the gaze from their own selves to the face of God is you are going to die. You're going to die. You are going to die. Although every single person on the face of the earth from the beginning of time has died, I somehow believe I don't. I will not die. I don't know why this is, but this apparently is a common thought. We don't believe it'll happen to us. We're somehow immortal, but we're not. And healthy people, people who have their eyes on Christ, know fully, they're fully aware of the fact that they are temporary and they are going to die. So many of us try to chase immortality. So many of us try to chase immortality as if we will be here forever. Poppy plants, they know they're not going to be around for. Do you know how many seeds they produce in their little poppy thing? Lots, like thousands. Like they go everywhere. They spend their entire life producing these tiny little seeds, right? They're, they're, They're producing these seeds and their whole life they're bending towards the sun and they're bending towards the sun because they know this is all we got and all we have is coming from the sun. That flax plant is dying because they are not getting their life from the sun, They understand that all they are comes from the sun. They understand that they're not that important because what they get comes from the sun so they will bend, twist, and contort to be beautiful. And everyone who sees them says, those poppies are awesome. 
And they can be awesome because here's the truth of it. The truth is, is that for those of us who believe in Jesus, these five things aren't depressing truths. These are not depressing truths at all. These, the, the thing is that, that, that life is hard and you're not important. And, and the truth that your life is not about you and you're not in control. And the, the truth that you are going to die. This is not depressing. This is freedom. These are truths of freedom. Because everything we've been chasing after, we're honest about it. And we say, this cannot be achieved. And I know life is hard. But Jesus says that his yoke is easy. And he says that he's a light in the darkness. There's paths paid for, paid for us. And in the hardship and in the darkness, we will follow. Life is hard. Praise the Lord. Right? And then, you know, the truth that you're not important. We know we're not important. You know, who thinks they're important anyway? You're narcissistic. We're, we know we're not important, but do you know our names are written in heaven and God's heart beats for us? Praise the Lord. You see that there's a shift from I'm important to you're important and I'm important because you make me important. You know, we are the poppy bending and twisting and beautiful things happen. We know that we're not in control. We know that. But God has mapped out the stars from the beginning of time to today and forever. And there is a plan and it's amazing and we're a part of it. We don't need to be in control. The pressure is off. Your life is not about you. Praise God. Praise God. Our lives are not about us. It's about mission and kingdom and gospel and salvation. It is about Jesus and life and the truth that our lives are not our own, but the life we have comes from him. Hello, Galatians 2.20. We know. You're going to die. Yeah, but what God does best is conquer death. Yes, we are going to die, but Paul says, I am fully confident that neither death nor life will separate us from the love of God. Our God is a God who brings dead things back to life. Yeah, we're going to die, and we're going to be awesome in it. You see, the truth that takes our hearts from focusing on ourselves, saying it should be easier. I need to prove I'm important. I need to be in control. I need to be here for, for my kids. I need to be here forever. Those things that you can never accomplish do, those things that you feel forever driven to do, Christ says, look at me. Bless the rock. Sing to the rock. Quit beating me with a staff. It'll never happen. Bless the rock. Praise the rock. And this is what the song is all about. The heart of worship. The heart of worship is the heart of sacrifice. And I finally found that out. It's sacrifice. Coming back to the heart of worship is simply, it's not about me, it's about you. And I'm not important, and I'm not deserving of these things, and I'm, I'm not going to be here forever, but you are. The heart of worship is something we come back to because this is what makes us come alive. And God takes joy when we come alive like the poppy plant and the joy I take in it. Right now, I want to invite all the other campus pastors at all the other campuses to come up. 
um, to come up in front of your congregations. And I want to invite all the congregations that are here right now. I want to invite Christ Community downtown. I want to invite Christ Community West and the people on the internet and, and the people in LaSalle and the people online. And I want to invite the Spanish congregation and CCI to all join us and worship together. Because the truth is, is that right now, right now, we have the opportunity to proclaim that life is hard, but you are with us. And you are our light and your yoke is easy. And right now, we as a church, as Christ's community, and the church that God has established here on earth have the opportunity to proclaim that our life is not about us, but God, it is about you and your mission and your salvation and your heart and your love for the people around us and for us. And right now, we as a church have the opportunity to proclaim that we are not important but God, you are important and you bring importance to us as you have proclaimed life into us and spoke life into us and that, that you have put breath in our lungs and that you call us by, as a child of, child of God, as sons and daughters of you. God, you speak importance into us. God, we proclaim as the church of Christ's community that we are not in control and we praise you and we bless you for the truth that you are in control and that you know us and you love us and you have written amazing stories for us and our church beats after your own heart. God, we praise you that you are in control. And God, right now, as a church of Christ community, we proclaim that we are going to die and praise the Lord, you have conquered death. You have conquered death and you bring us back to life and that not even life or death can separate you from us. Your heart from us. Nothing can keep your salvation from moving forward. God, we proclaim that you are God and we are not. We are your church. You are our God. And we, right now, are coming back to the heart of worship. Amen.